0: Praise God. Good morning. Hello, Christ Chapel. So glad you are here. Uh, To the West Campus, to Hive, to South Campus, to my people in Converge, to the Internet Campus, we love that you are with us today. Uh, We are going to get after God's Word today. Uh, Normally, here I would share a funny story or a pithy illustration But in light of where we're going today uh, and and what we're studying today, and in light of the fact that I get to preach uh, the entire second chapter of 1 Corinthians, and all 16 verses of them, we're going to jump right in, and I know you'll be happy to do that. So let's open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and you need a Bible this morning, not all of the verses. We're going to be studying a big chunk of Scripture, and so you'll need to kind of track along. There should be Bibles available in all the venues, or um, if you've got a smartphone on an app. Uh, but you're going to need a Bible in your hands this morning. Uh, while you're flipping there, here's what's been on my heart the last couple of weeks as I've, as I've gotten to study this passage. Uh, and, and if you pay attention to the sermons, the pastor desk emails, I, I included this in there. Um, but it's this. It's that I am becoming more and more aware of my powerlessness and here's what I mean by that. In my life, I just um, am confronted with this idea that I can't control the things I want to control. I'm the dad of two sons, uh, and, and it is very obvious to me, and this confronts me often, that I can't, I don't have the power to, to change my boys' hearts. Uh, I don't have the power uh, that I would want to protect my kids from sin and from the world uh, as a friend and as a pastor, I don't have the power to be able to change someone's heart um, or, or change their circumstances so often uh, in ways I would want even my own heart. I feel like I don't have the power to change my own heart in ways that I know I want to. We want to see the power of God. We want to see the power of God and for those that we love, for those in your life Uh, For those you're praying for, for your own heart, we want that. But so often we are frustrated and and we are uh, are insecure and intimidated by how we do this. What what techniques, how do I convince someone, how do I make progress in someone else's heart, let alone my own heart? What we'll find in this chapter, in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, is that there is power available in Christ. There is this available power. And so to those of us who have been just struggling to crack the code, right, who, who our hearts want to change, what series of knowledge must I know to implement, uh, what formula must I have so then finally I can change or they can change, what techniques to develop for my family member or that person I've been praying for for years. Uh, for the world around me, this broken, divided world, what podcast or resource or What what do I need to be able to bring about the power to change the things I care about? Fix all of that. There is a power here readily available. It is simple. It is not easy, but it is simple. Let's study God's word. Verse 1 in chapter 2. This is where Paul goes. He says, and I... of God. Stop right there. Around AD 50, right, the Apostle Paul arrives in Corinth to see lives change, right, to expand the church. He's on a mission from God, but his techniques we see in these first five verses, his techniques are these deliberately humble and, and simple techniques. He says in verse two, not with lofty speech, right, not with plausible words, Verse 3, he decided to know nothing among them except for Christ and Christ crucified. Why? Why did Paul, the apostle, show up in Corinth the way he did? Why did he do that? Let me give you some historical background that I think is is fascinating. Um, Paul went to Corinth on his fifth stop on his second missionary journey. So he started in Troas, and when he was in Troas, um, God called him. The Spirit of God called him into what was at that time or what would become uh, Europe, And so God, for the first time, calls him in this missionary journey to venture into Europe uh, to preach the gospel. And so he shows up in, in Philippi, and he preaches the gospel, and people get saved, and there's revival there, and a church begins, and there's fruit. And he goes from Philip to Thessalonica, and Thessalonica, the church grows, and people fall in love with Jesus. And then from Thessalonica to Berea, God moves, and then from Berea to Athens, and then Athens to Corinth. And, and one of the things that happens in Athens, the stop before Corinth, is, uh, is we see the sermon in Acts 17. It's the sermon on Mars Hill that Paul goes in Athens. And Athens is this brilliant place filled with brilliant, educated people. And he goes, uh, and he goes to the Areopolis. And there are all of these gods and all of these philosophers and all of these deep thinkers. And in Acts 17, Paul delivers this unbelievable sermon. I mean, my favorite sermon of all time. It's just brilliant. He knows their culture. He's engaging in their poetry and and their way and meeting them where they're at. And it's this incredible thing. And we know that some come to the Lord, but we also know in Acts 17 that many don't. And we know that many are angered by the gospel in this sermon he preaches at Mars Hill. And and he gets run out of town. He gets persecuted and run out of town in Athens. And so by the time he gets run out of town in Athens, he then arrives into Corinth. And he arrives there and scholars, several scholars believe that he gets there and he's to the point where he says, look, look, I'm not going to try to win you over with my big brain. I'm not going to try to win you over with my brilliant evangelistic techniques, right? I'm going to preach the gospel, the simple, beautiful gospel. Let's define what we mean when we say the gospel, because we're going to be talking about it a lot this sermon. Um, What do we mean when we say the gospel? It's right here from the text. Verse 3, Christ and Christ crucified. Uh, Paul later in this very letter in 1 Corinthians, he makes sure we have clarity of what we mean when we say the gospel. In chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, he, he reminds us the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. The death burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we mean by the gospel. That's what Paul means. This is Paul's technique to preach the gospel. And and what did that simplicity, right, to focus on Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, what did it produce? Verses four and five, it produced power and effectiveness. The Spirit of God used this simple message the simple message, and showed his power through it, so as, verse 5 says, so as not to be confused by the wisdom of men. So here's the timeless reality in what Paul did. It's that the power of God is packed into the simplicity of the gospel. Right, this, this power of God that I want so desperately, even in my own heart or in the lives of others, this, this power for the church to expand and lives to be transformed, it is packed in the simplicity of the gospel. Romans, Paul also wrote to the Romans right off the bat, and in chapter 1, verse 16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, and then he describes it there, as for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone to, who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. It wasn't, it wasn't Paul's wisdom. It wasn't his giftedness that made it effective. But revival spread throughout the world because of this gospel, right? At the time of the church, revival spread throughout the world in a way it has never done since or done before. History radically changed. The most radical and cultural shift in the history of humanity happened because of the gospel. And it happened in a time and with a people that wasn't a fortuitous happening, right? It wasn't a convenient time for that gospel to take root in the sense of it wasn't an easy thing for people to believe, right? It wasn't just like, well, I guess it makes sense and it's a popular thing. No, no, it was 300 years before the gospel was even legal within most of the believing church that was proclaiming the gospel. To to believe the gospel was was to potentially have your family killed. To believe the gospel was potentially to commit career suicide, certainly to be alienated by the populace. But in those circumstances where it wasn't easy to swallow the gospel, it spread like wildfire. As powerful. And here in chapter 2, we see behind the curtain of how. We say, how does it do that? How does this gospel do what it does? And it is is this simple, powerful thing called the gospel, not an ad campaign, not a sales force, not an incentivized prosperity message, but the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus to a world that hates those who believe it. And it swept the globe. we got to take note of that. We've got to see the ripples of that and pay attention. How is the gospel packed with so much power? How can it be so impactful? Paul's going to take us there, but first he makes this really important observation. Look at verses six through nine. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it's not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would have never crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Who are the rulers of that age that this verse is referencing? It's pretty obvious when you study uh, this passage that it's a reference um, to, to the Pharisees, uh, to the Romans, to Pontius Pilate, to the crowd of people that stood at Jesus' trial and shouted, crucify him. Right? The world, they, they missed it. These four verses show us that the most educated Romans, the most savvy Jews, The most religious people in that day and age, I mean, people who were studying the Old Testament, studying the prophecy of the Messiah to come with their lives, missed it. Missed it and and did not see Christ for who he was. They couldn't see, they couldn't understand who Jesus was and what he was doing, right? And so subsequently, they crucified him and they buried him and then he rose and he changed everything. And the, the gospel was foolishness to the world. It is foolishness to the world. And certainly here it was foolishness. What kind of king is this? Right? What, kind of, what kind of God humbles himself and rides in on a donkey? What kind of God spends all of his time with those who are the least worthy? What kind of God does that? They can't see it. And we see why they can't see it in this exact passage. In these verses we see what, why did they miss it what's it say? It says it's hidden from them. Verse 7, there is a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Now, this word hidden, um, it's not a reference. uh, Don't think of a reference of a a manipulated hiding behind a cloak uh, kind of prank. Uh, Think of hidden as the idea of something that is buried beneath the surface. You can't see it. It's there, but it's buried beneath the surface. And it, it makes me think of an aquifer, right? This, this body of water that's underground. Uh, there is an aquifer, one of the largest aquifers in the world, uh, largest in, in the United States, uh, Oglala Aquifer named after a town in Nebraska, it stretches eight different states, right? This one aquifer, this one body of water underground in America and under the the plains, it stretches in the northern part of the Panhandle in New Mexico, Colorado, Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, stretches into the southern part of South Dakota, Wyoming. It's 174,000 square miles, this aquifer. It's there. I mean, think about the impact of that, right? You, um, you If anybody takes a trip up north and, and takes a road trip, most likely you will be driving over this aquifer for, for miles and miles. Anyone lives uh, in the plains area, most likely they're living on top of this aquifer and, and maybe don't even know uh, that it's there. When Paul shares how it is a simple gospel message that has power, he clarifies that it is not a shallow message, right? It is a deep message. And rich message that, yes, is hidden from many, but it is deep and it is rich. And it contains the power for life change, and the mind and heart of Christ are in it. And he points out, he points out that the world cannot tap into that. They can't tap into it. It's hidden under their feet. They see Jesus, they see the gospel, they hear the gospel, but don't understand. Um, what does the world do then in response to that? Well, they do their best, right? They try. They try hard to make sense out of history and out of humanity uh, to, the, to the problem of powerlessness. The world is going to present uh, an a- inadequate solution uh, to, to the problem of brokenness. They're going to offer an inadequate solution that, that changes by the generation or by the decade, Uh, To find satisfaction, they're going to find something that says this is what will satisfy you. To find something worth worship, they will offer you many, many options. The world will suggest, here's what you need. I don't understand the gospel, but here is what you need. Try this worldly technique. So I hope you see with clarity what Paul is teaching us in this chapter. That yes, the power of God is packed in the simplicity of the gospel and not the understanding of the world. right? God's power is packed in the simplicity of the gospel, not the understanding of the world. And that's what he's saying. There's power in the gospel. You, you don't have to flower it up, but the world isn't going to get it. So here in this uh, final point, Paul's going to make, and then, and then we're going to spend some time uh, just applying this to our life uh, It asks the question, okay, we should be asking the question at this point. How does one tap into it? Right. (laughs) That's a pretty important question. How does one tap into this powerful gospel that is available, that is deep and and simple and wide? How how do we tap into it? How do I get access to that? Not just through my education, not just through religiousness, uh, not just through emotion. How do I not miss it? Verse 10 The depth of understanding, right? the simple gospel's ability to have deep and powerful effects in our life is only available through the Spirit of God. That power, that understanding, Scripture says, is only available through the Spirit of God. And it's the same Spirit that lives in a believer is that same Spirit that lives in God's heart. We see that in verse 10 and 11. The world has no ability to access the mind of Christ because they don't have the spirit. We see that in verse 12 and 14. The timeless reality that Paul teaches us, the spirit of God is our only means of access to the mind and the heart of Christ. This simple gospel and this rich, this aquifer under our feet, we cannot, the world cannot access, has all sorts of suggestions, but cannot access the spirit of God is this pipeline to to break through the bedrock of our heart so that we can understand and well out an understanding that will change everything. That's what the Spirit of God does. It is this pipe, it is this well that digs deep into the things of God that the Spirit allows us then to well out, to have this understanding that he has given to those who are in Christ. I don't need the world's unsuccessful techniques to get me there. So that leads me to this very practical and massively important evaluation and application of this truth in my life and our life today how do i know if i have neglected the spirit of god right how do i know if i've neglected it i need it it's the pipeline that drills through that bedrock how do i know if i'm neglecting it may we never grow weary of asking that question Our hearts will grow callous if we're not careful. So how do I know? First, it's about trusting and surrendering my life to Christ. Trusting and surrendering my life to Christ. Verse 12 of of this chapter. Remember, Paul says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. We have received that spirit if we're in Christ. Uh, In in another letter, Paul to the Galatians in chapter 4, he says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. If we are in Christ, then we should have his spirit. So before we move any further, we've got to look honestly at that. Where have you put your faith and your reliance? Are you in Christ? Or have you placed your faith in this, this simple gospel and surrendered to the to the king we now have. And I don't mean, and I don't mean have you prayed a prayer. And and I don't mean um, do you acknowledge Jesus as as the best potential candidate for your life. I I don't mean um, do you go to church and are in lots of Bible studies and, and have learned and grown in your ability to articulate biblical knowledge. I mean, have you surrendered your life to Christ? Paul describes it as being crucified with Christ. That's how he describes that. Not praying a prayer, not acknowledging Jesus or checking a box, but being crucified with Christ. He later describes, even in in this book, this idea that his life is no longer his own. He he calls his life a living sacrifice in Romans. That's who he is now. That is his identity, a living sacrifice. And in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, he'll tell us that his life isn't his own because he was bought at a price. That's, that's beautiful. Salvation and saving faith is not a category of my worldview. It can't just be a category of your worldview and of your life. It is, it is going before the God of the universe and saying, I am yours. I am yours. Take my life. Evaluate the kingdom that I am building and help me to let go and surrender to you. So I might be transformed and sanctified Here's what that simple gospel sounds like. Let me, let me share what it sounds like, that death, burial, and resurrection. It sounds like this. God, you have died for me, so let my life be dead in you. God, you have been buried, so would my desires and my self-pursuing kingdom be buried with you, and you have been raised to life, and so would my life now be in you and you alone and my pursuit and my breath for your glory, that's what it looks like. That's how the simple gospel changes everything about us. Changes everything. Those aren't theological boxes I check about a historical event. They're a God I now surrender to because of his death, burial, and resurrection. So, Father, me too. I am yours. Has that happened in your life? I know there are amazing people, amazing people sitting here today who haven't done this yet. People at South Campus, people at West Campus, sitting in Converge, watching the sermon on a laptop, listening to this podcast in a car. You are a good moral person. You got great Christian values You acknowledge Christian doctrine and agree with Christian doctrine. But if you fully surrendered your trust and your life to God, don't leave here today, don't leave here today with just more biblical information or more uh, emotional zeal more spiritual passion. If if we get fired up and if you get fired up and we rally together uh, under passionate preaching and and beautiful worship, that is gone by the end of lunch today. It's gone, right? My preaching style or Cody's preaching style or this style of worship or that style of worship is worthless. It is worthless. That's what this text is showing us. It is worthless and it won't last. Get the, the preacher and the the messenger out of the way and do business with the spirit of God today who is before you saying, surrender. Surrender. I have something better for you. Follow me. Stop striving. Don't miss it. we know you're here. We love that you're here. We know you're here. Because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says many people, many people at the end of time are going to go before Jesus and say, it's me. And he's going to look at them. He's going to say, I don't know you. And those people are going to say, but I sat in church every week. I agreed with the doctrine. I I tried my best to keep the complicated list, the complicated Christian do's and don'ts list. And he says, but you never surrendered to the simple gospel. I don't know you. You don't have to be embarrassed that that might be you today, right? You are here for a reason. It's not a coincidence that God's word is being preached from chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians today, July 4th, 2021. Would the Spirit help you hear it? You might have heard the gospel Every day for the last 75 years doesn't matter unless the Spirit of God takes it and drills it through a surrendered heart. doesn't matter how many times I've heard it, how many times I nod my head, how many times I'll share that information with somebody else until the Spirit of God takes it and drills it through the bedrock of my heart. Don't neglect this day and what God might want to do with your life and your eternity confess your need surrender i'd suggest then when you do that grab another believer grab a pastor and say i'm i'm surrendering i don't know what this looks like and it's scary it's simple but it ain't easy walk with me hold me accountable for those in christ just because we have the Spirit of God residing in us doesn't mean we've arrived, right? We have not arrived. We need to be actively rejecting the Spirit of the world. If I, if I want to figure out how to not neglect the Spirit of God, I need to... With, with all the tools I have, I need to be able to fight to neglect the spirit of the world, right? Because those pipes get clogged, right? The world will get in there. We're prone to wander, and we're prone to bring the world in as an authority again. I, uh, I spent some time uh, over at a friend of mine's house. And he had his house on the market. He was selling his house. It was actually under contract. Beautiful house. And he'd done all this work. And I was sitting at his kitchen table and looked into the backyard. And um, you know, it, it had already gone through the inspection phase. And when it went through the inspection phase, they found out that the, the line, the plumbing line, out the back of his house that runs through his backyard and connects to the city, uh, had all these roots growing in it. And so this beautiful house... You look out, manicured yard, beautiful yard, and just right through the middle of this beautifully manicured grass is just this huge ditch and backhoes and guys with shovels just removing it all, ripping out these pipes that roots had grown into and replacing it and cleaning it out. It's gonna happen, right? So we've got to filter out the world. We've gotta filter out the world. Romans 12, two, Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind the world will give you solutions, right? They will will try to give you their understanding, their reason for purpose, right? Their source for satisfaction. And instead of the gospel and denying ourselves, the world will tell you, no, 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 prioritize yourself and your comfort above all else, right? There's a $1 billion self-help industry, and, and I'm sure that there are some good resources out there. I don't, I don't need to villainize that whole industry. Uh, there are some great resources out there, but also there is a tremendous amount of lies, right, that would, that would just rip away the simple gospel and point you to something else, point you to, to this, these lies that the world would tell us that um, your feelings are your authority, right, and, and your happiness is your purpose, and your enemy is really anyone that's going to challenge either of those first two. The spirit of the world is going to try to lead you somewhere with those lies. I've got friends who will describe themselves as a spiritual, very spiritual people, but not really into the Bible. And I don't argue with them because I, I'm sure that they are spiritual people, but I don't know what spirit they are following because it's not the Spirit of God, because it says the Spirit of God is only available to those who are in Christ through the power of the gospel. So don't buy into that, right? The, the gospel of Jesus is it. And don't, don't let the world add to that or, or take the gospel and just shrink it to a category, right? This Jesus plus idea that I say, man, I've put my faith in the gospel, but I'm still gonna find my identity in my career success, or I've, I've put my faith in the gospel, but I'm still going to put my hope in conservative politics or liberal politics. The Bible's pretty clear. Any worldly political party isn't going to be worthy of my, my ultimate hope. Or man, I put my faith in the gospel, but I still really really need to earn it in order to be loved. Or the, the other side of that is I believe in the gospel, and I believe I'm loved fully, and so I can really do whatever I want now and live in whatever way gratifies my immediate desires. Those are all ways that the world will pervert and twist and shrink and add to the gospel. And you fall into those traps, and your heart gets calloused, and you neglect the Spirit of God. So how are you filtering this? How are you filtering it? Are you fleeing from temptation? Are you you building in accountability in areas that you are weak? Man, are you in community? Are you in biblical community that doesn't just tell you what you want to hear, but they really allow the spirit to unpack and challenge and speak truth into each other's lives? Let's see the other side of that. The other side of that is not just a filtering out of the world, but it's also a cultivating of the spirit with spiritual truths. I'm called to cultivate the spirit of God with spiritual truths. Verse 13, if you remember what Paul said, he says, and we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So let's recap. There is power in the gospel. The world isn't going to understand it, but the spirit reveals it. I want to see I want to see here how the Spirit of God, it, I want you to see it's got, a, it's got a purpose and a function. It's got boundaries, the Spirit of God, that allow us to be guided to an unfathomable depth of the mind and the heart of Christ. And those boundaries are rooted in this purpose that it says right here in verse 13, to interpret spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. There is a source that the Spirit is drawing us to, or, or should be drawing us to. Uh, through signs and wonders, the Spirit of God came 2,000 years ago in, in unique ways and authorized this, God's word. And now we have his word revealing to us who he is and who we are by the Spirit's power. And if this is your source, are you letting the Spirit speak through this? You've got to evaluate what source do you look to for truth? What's the the source that you're going to? If it's grounded in anything other than God's word, the spiritual truths that he has given us, that the Holy Spirit has authorized, it's going to lead you astray. Uh, If you listen to the Spirit of God, but you're letting your emotions be your source, your well will run dry. As a believer, I don't get to take the Spirit of God. There's all kinds of ways that I, I mishandle or, or misunderstand how this Spirit works. I, I don't just get to take the Spirit of God and use it as a stamp to authorize my feelings and, and what I desire. We do that all the time. right? Well, this is what I really want, and so I'm just going to use the Spirit of God as a believer to just kind of authorize. Well, this is what I want. I'm going to stamp it and call it authoritative, but it's really the source is my desires, not really rooted in Spirit. Show me your word where to go. The Spirit of God's purpose is not to also fuel emotionalism, give me a spiritual high, or show me a fresh new word. I don't need a fresh new word from the Spirit of God, right? We need the Spirit of God to take this timeless, deep reservoir of truth, and I need the Spirit to take this, and I need it to unpack, and I need it to help me understand, Lord, who you are and who I am. That's what I need. I don't I don't need a new word or a new sign. I've been given it. If I'm seeking out a word from the spirit without being in his word, his spiritual truth, verse 13, I can't trust what comes out. It interprets this for us in ways I can't understand apart from God's spirit. Verse 12, that that we might understand the things freely given to us. It interprets and it even says, so that I can understand deeply, actually, the things that are freely given to us. Let me finish by showing and modeling um, what this looks like. Right? What does it look like for the Spirit of God to illuminate things in a, in a depth of not just intellectual head knowledge, but life change? Uh, he, here's one, that we are sons and daughters. That is something, verse 12, it is a promise that if we are in Christ, that is something that he has freely given us. And the Spirit of God takes this truth, that I Romans, I've no longer been given the spirit of fear, but I've been given the spirit of adoption in which I cry, Abba, Father, He is my Father. I didn't earn it. I get a seat at the table that I didn't earn. And I take that truth that I see freely given to me. And I say, God, would this, would my understanding that I am a son actually click? Because my worldly understanding of being God's son is woefully insufficient. My notes, my ability to check that intellectual box is not adequate. The Spirit gives me the living God to truly understand these gifts freely given. Let me show you a way that works. Even in a worldly standpoint, uh, my boys, I've got two boys, they know I love them. right? They know I, I love them because I tell them that constantly. So if they were to take a quiz at school, and does dad love you, they would say yes because they have that, that knowledge because I say it all the time. But I get to live the rest of my life modeling and showing them defining for them what that looks like in a depth, right, that will shape them. The depth at which it goes from knowledge that, yeah, my dad loves me, to understanding is the depth at which they can live out their identity as sons who are loved by their father, right? That transition from knowledge to Holy Spirit, help me understand this, that changes and transforms my very identity, and I need the Spirit of God for that. The idea, the promise of Scripture that we're new creations, I don't feel like a new creation. I'm still carrying around a lot of shame and a lot of baggage. This promise, God's Spirit, show me. Help me understand. Help me break through the bedrock of my heart so I can understand how you see me as a new creation. Do you see? Do you see the power of the Spirit in the simple gospel? All of this. All of this is the Spirit of God interpreting for me the spiritual truths of God and then freely given over as I surrender to Christ to that and walk within the beautiful boundaries of his word as he reveals who I am and who he is. That is amazing. That is amazing and that is the power of God for transformation in our lives. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And we love you because of how you have first loved us. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the blood of Christ. Thank you that we get a seat at your table. Thank you for this simple gospel that doesn't have to be added to or a complex list of rules. But God, you, your death, your burial, your resurrection. Would I not just know that, but would I understand it and surrender to it? Spirit, show us. Lead us through your spiritual truths. And would we go and would we live this? Would we proclaim this? Would we believe it deeply? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.